Plastic Planet. Plastic Planet, Part 3, Taking Back the Gulf, Chapter 15, Danger Down. A hero is someone who understands the responsibility that come with his freedom. Bob Dylan. Commander Cray was deeply disappointed that the mission failed, preferring to return as a hero over going AWOL. Cray tracked the crew hoverplane into Mexico, not surprised to find it abandoned. All the safe spaces soldiers stationed in the area knew the last team that failed were beheaded by John Hoff. Commander Cray was obligated to see the mission to completion, still preferring to collect the $25 million from John rather than deploying his golden parachute. Cray pulled dangerous location, the location of dangerous hovercraft by using the codes and the navigation equipment supplied by the manufacturer. Cray set down the hoverplane a quarter mile away, grabbing a missile launcher, preparing to walk the rest of the way. Cray was stopped short at the hoverplane by a pack of wild dogs. The pack of mangy mutts growled viciously with teeth barred and ears pinned back, approaching menacingly. Commander Cray returned to the hovercraft, sliding the door shut before ascending into the air. Cray made a wide circle, zeroing in on Dangerous Dan's plane, opening the hatch for the missile launchers before squeezing the trigger to let two missiles fly. The missiles scored a direct hit, causing the hoverplane and Dangerous Dan to burst into a ball of fire. Commander Cray set the hoverplane down a short distance from the side, ordering up satellite surveillance of the area, zeroing in on Ray and Soul within the hour studying them carefully to determine what they were looking for and what powers they possessed. Cray watched the satellite feed, studying his query. They seemed harmless, but neither was wearing a mask. Plus, he was sure one of them was responsible for the pack of wild dogs that met him. Rain and Soul were talking excitedly, pointing back to the source of the explosion before deciding to move forward. Commander Cray inched his way closer, getting a visual on the two keepers, who were oblivious to his presence. Rain stood in the middle of the clearing, arms outstretched slightly with several small live insect carriers placed in front of her. She held up the first container, a beehive-shaped cylinder to allow hundreds of bees to fly in, then gently shut the lid. She set the next containers on the ground, causing the earth around the containers to come alive, as hundreds of waxworms and mealworms called into the respective carriers willingly. Sol stood knee-deep in the water with two glass containers submerged into a small stream, allowing microscopic enzymes and bacteria to accumulate in each one leaving in the water with murky with life. Once complete, they packed up, walking briskly to the side of the hoverplane to find a gaping hole burned into the earth. Rain burst into tears, prompting Sol to draw her close to comfort her, gently bringing her focus back to their own dilemma. Rain, we're 75 miles from the Gulf of Mexico. The river we passed on the way in feeds into the Gulf. Let's hike to the river. Then I can use my spirit power to take us home riding on the currents and the ocean's waves. I don't know. I don't like to go too deep, Rain replied nervously. Don't worry. I got you. So took Rain's hand, guiding her on the short hike to the river, allowing her to climb on his back when the water was waist-deep. Commander Cray watched, amazed, as the water started moving around Sol, propelling him forward by an invisible force. Sol picked up speed, sending Cray scrambling back to his hovercraft to pursue. 
Seoul in range surf rapidly through the Gulf, 100 yards offshore. Seoul's pilot commander's crazed hoverplane trailing half a mile behind, shouting over his shoulder, Hold on tight! We're going under! Rain tightened her grip, meekly responding, Way! Seoul sped up the face of a 10-foot swell, shooting 10, 20 feet into the air, with Rain holding on tightly, kicking his feet out in midair to reverse direction, causing the pair to dive into the ocean, descending rapidly. They leveled off at 10 feet under the ocean's surface, rocketing forward. Rain tapped Sol on the shoulder, signaling she needed air, prompting Sol toward the surface. Allowing Rain's head to break the surface while he remained underwater, using his body to push them both forward. Sol slowed, swimming in wide circles, causing three sizable water spouts to emerge from the water, holding in place, a deterrent for anyone trying to pursue. Two hours later, Rain and Sol emerged on the beach. The team ran out to meet them, helping them to the pavilion. Sol and Rain recapped the day's activities, avoiding eye contact with Rom, feeling terrible about Dangerous Dan. The pain of loss lingered in Rom's eyes. I am grateful you both made it back alive. However, I'm grieving for my old friend Dangerous Dan, who lived on the edge on the brink of death, but was pure of heart. Ram hung his head reverently. We will meet in the morning at dawn to hold a memorial service for Dan and to plan our next course of action. I'll be on the North Jetty. Please reach out for any urgent matters. Ram walked off, reflecting on the life of Dangerous Dan, fondly reminiscing the times they shared, grieving the loss of a great man. Chapter 16, Commander Cray Runs Away A coward's courage is in his tongue, Edmund Burke. Commander Cray followed in the hoverplane, trailing a quarter mile behind before being stopped by the water spouts. Cray tried to go around the sea cyclones with the spouts moving to block him, preventing Cray from traveling northward. Cray hovered toward the beach with intent to go around but was met by an army of seagulls. Thousands of gulls surrounded Cray's hoverplane, flapping their wings rapidly amid a loud buzz of seagull chatter, leaving a thick film of white excrement, forcing Cray to land the vessel. Upon landing, the gulls flew away in a flutter, taking to the air, joining thousands of gulls circling the craft high in the sky, standing ready to intervene. Cray activated the windshield wipers, moving thick gull goo across the windshield. Commander Cray knew the time was primed to deploy his golden parachute. Cray walked around the perimeter of the hoverplane, surveying the mess before rolling out a hose to attach to the water vessel's water tank and spraying the rancid excrement off the exterior. After cleaning the crap, Cray sat behind the well of the hoverplane and took a long pool of water from his canteen before logging on to Safe Space's bank accounts to complete the $25 million transfer. Clay Cray flew north towards Texas-Mexico border to visit a hoverplane dealership five miles south of the U.S. border, landing two hours later. Commander Cray stepped to the gate degassing pans, removed his protective gear, and walked onto the sales floor to be met by a short, well-dressed Hispanic man named Julio, who greeted him enthusiastically. Commander Cray, good to see you. Please, follow me. We'll talk business in my office.
Two men stepped into Julio's well-appointed office for Craig to arrange a transfer of $750,000 payment for his new hydroplane. Julio accompanied Commander Craig to his new vessel, smiling as he spoke. This plane is the best hubbard plane on the market. He can go from 0 to 300 in 7 seconds, can ascend 1,000 feet in 3 seconds, and has a turning radius tighter than many hovercraft. The cabin comes complete with its own air supply and the gassing chamber. Military-grade weapons and a surveillance system were installed as per your request. I feel confident you will love this plane. <clears throat> Thank you, Julio. I'm being deployed on a top-secret mission. Your discretion is appreciated. Of course, Commander, Julio replied. Commander Cray hovered away from the dealership without remorse, relieved to be free of John Hoff. For the first time in his entire military career, Commander Cray was AWOL, absent without leave. Chapter 17, Hoff Monster. Murderers are not monsters, they're men, and that's the most frightening thing about them, Alice Siebold. John Hall Furious was reeling from reports of another failed mission, calling an emergency meeting to discuss Safe Space's failures. John addressed a group of Safe Space's top brash, his voice tense with anger. Hoff Corporation is disappointed in Safe Space's performance. This is Safe Space's third failed mission. Our expectation is for the team who failed to be punished. John paused, glaring at the group with contempt. The commanding officer, Commander Kroll, stood, prepared to address John's concerns. Mr. Hoff, sir, I am sorry you're not satisfied with Safe Spaces services. The services provided by Safe Spaces fulfill our contractual obligation. Mr. Hoff, our company intelligence uncovered new information surrounding Hoff Corporation and specifically about you that violates the terms of the contract such as several warrants issued by Nueces County law enforcement on multiple charges. Safe Space's contract with Hoff is terminated effective immediately. Commander Kroll met John's gaze with a hard stare. John exploded. You can't do that! I'll have you all bound and shackled in a prison to be executed. No, John, you will not, the commander replied stiffly. An infantry company is standing ready just outside of the complex, supported by artillery. A half dozen special forces units have been deployed and are inside this complex. Two military-grade hoverplanes are circling the complex of full payloads. Our surveillance located your weapons stockpile, and our special forces are standing ready to destroy them. You're finished, John. The only reason I don't deliver you personally to Nueces County is that it violates our company policy. John fumed angrily. Commander, you will regret this. No one screws up her half and gets away with it. The commander smiled before approaching John and placing a hard punch to his stomach. As John doubled over in pain, Commander grabbed the hair on top of his head, simultaneously bringing John's face down and lifting his knees, feeling his nose snap on connection. John, this is your only warning. Should I hear you mention this company or any of our soldiers' names, I'll come back to kill you. John staggered to his feet, spitting blood. You're a dead man! 
man, Crow! Mender let out his breath in frustration. You're a slow looter, John! Then punched John square on the chin with enough force to lift him off his feet, sending him flying backwards. The commander kneeled over John with a knee on his chest and removed a large military-style knife from the leather pouch attached to his belt, placing the razor-sharp blade against John's neck, causing small pool blood to form on the blade. I should just kill you now and do the world a favor. Commander Kroll removed the knife from John's throat, slicing his cheek with a swift motion, revealing his teeth underneath. John, if there is a next time, I will kill you without hesitation. Commander Kroll marched out of the room with Safe Space's commanding officers following in his wake. An explosion echoed through the complex as Safe Space's special forces destroyed Hoff's weapon supply. John Hoff was consumed with pain and humiliated by Commander Kroll, vowing to take vengeance.